0: Shalom. We are so glad you're joining us on this episode of Our Hope. We created this podcast as a resource for followers of Yeshua, where they can learn more about Israel, the Bible, and the Jewish community. Together, we discuss messianic apologetics, dive into Scripture, and hear stories from Jewish believers in Jesus. If you've enjoyed our podcast series, please consider supporting us at ourhopepodcast.com slash support. You could also help us by sharing this podcast on social media, talking about it with your friends and family, or by writing a review on Apple Podcasts. We are so grateful for you, and we hope this episode of Our Hope is both enlightening and encouraging.
1: And the distinction is the church participates in the program of God and is part of the program of God. But that participation doesn't mean it replaces Israel in the program of God. The argument against replacement theology is not to argue that the church isn't what it is, but it is to argue that the church being what it is does not take the place of Israel in the program of God as God fills out His program and as He reconciles Jews and Gentiles to one another in Christ. Welcome to Our Hope, a production of Chosen People Ministries.
0: you exceedingly fruitful and I will make nations of you and kings will come from you I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you and I will give to you and to your descendants after you the land where you live as a stranger all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession and I will be their God Genesis 17, verses six through eight. Many years have passed since God made his covenant with Abraham and God has kept his promises. The Jewish people have been preserved through centuries of persecution and the land of Israel now thrives with many Jewish people making Aliyah or returning to the land to live there permanently. Yet throughout history, many in the church have questioned if Israel is still part of God's plan supersessionism or replacement theology has become more widely accepted with many claiming that the church has replaced Israel in God's promises. It's a tough topic to talk about. So today I've invited a few friends to help us better understand what replacement theology is and how we as believers should respond to it. First, I would like to welcome back Nicole Vaca, who is a co-producer of Our Hope and occasional host Hello, Nicole. Hello. I'd like to welcome back Robert Walter, the director of the Chosen People Ministries Brooklyn branch. He's a congregational leader of Beth Sargell in Brooklyn and adjunct professor of New Testament Greek at the Charles L. Feinberg Center for Messianic Jewish Studies. Hello, Robert. Hey, Abe. And I would also like to welcome back... Dr. Daryl Bach, who is the Executive Director for Cultural Engagement at the Hendricks Center and Senior Research Professor of New Testament Studies at Dallas Theological Seminary. He has authored over and edited over 40 books in theological and cultural areas, including many tied to New Testament Studies, Israel, and Reconciliation. Hello, Dr. Bach.
1: It's good to be with you, Abe.
0: And I am Abe Vasquez, and I'm a Puerto Rican from the Bronx who loves Jesus. (laughs) That's my only title. (laughs) Well, thank you all for joining us um, on Our Hope. We're really excited about this episode. It's very dense, um, which is why I needed some help uh, to talk through this. It's a touchy topic uh, for many. um, And I know for Chosen People Ministries, this is something uh, that we're passionate to talk about. So, yeah, let's just jump right
2: in. So uh, actually, Abe, real quick, before we get into supersessionism and replacement theology, I just wanted to uh, let everyone know that Dr. Bach has also served, uh, in addition to his uh, time at Dallas Theological Seminary, but you've also been a, a visiting professor at the uh, the Feinberg Center for Messianic Jewish Studies, which is uh, Chosen People Ministries seminary program here in Brooklyn. It's a partnership with Talbot School of Theology which is part of Biola University in California. Uh, We offer a fully accredited Masters of Divinity in Messianic Jewish Studies. And Dr. Bach has come in and he's uh, taught really some pretty cool classes. Now, Dr. Bach, I just have one honest question for you. In all of your time teaching at the Feinberg Center, who was your favorite Feinberg student and why was it me?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that was such a roundabout way to get equal time for Talbot Biola. I can hardly stand it. This is one of the reasons why you are considered to be one of the most outstanding students in a class of one that I've ever had.
2: Fair assessment, very fair.
0: <laughs> that is awesome. Well, let's jump in. So, uh, Dr. Bach, can you tell us what is a nice, clean textbook definition? of replacement theology or supersessionism?
1: Well, I'll give it three names, and that way that'll tell you a little bit about the conversation. Supersessionism means that the church has superseded the position of Israel in the program of God. It's taken the place of the role of Israel in the plan of God, so that's replacement theology. If you talk to someone who holds to this theology, they won't use either of those names. They will call it fulfillment theology. And their argument will be that the promises of God are fulfilled in Jesus, and anyone who's connected to Jesus participates in those promises. So I'm going to make a distinction right at the very beginning. And the distinction is the church participates in the program of God and is part of the program of God. But that participation doesn't mean it replaces Israel in the program of God. Mm. So that distinction is very important from the start, because the argument against replacement theology is not to argue that the church isn't what it is, but it is to argue that the church being what it is does not take the place of Israel in the program of God as God fills out his program and as he reconciles Jews and Gentiles to one another in Christ.
0: Hmm. Words matter because fulfillment sounds a lot nicer than replacement.
1: <laughs> it, it does. And, and, of course, they're emphasizing an element of continuity and connection between the people who are blessed in Jesus or in Yeshua. And uh, and that is a part of the story too. So one of the difficulties of this conversation is emphasizing what it does involve while not excluding what it also involves. And sometimes you only get a half of that equation and in that half you're missing something mm. even while you're affirming something.
0: So in my experience, it seems like the main difference between someone who believes in replacement theology and someone who does not is how they interpret the Bible. So can you unpack that for us and tell us what are the major tenets of biblical interpretation for replacement theology and how do they differ from what someone who doesn't ascribe to replacement theology holds to?
1: Well, again, this has to do with what what's claimed in this regard. Uh, a person who is holding to replacement theology, supersessionism, or fulfillment theology, i gonna, you're going to hear me use these three terms consistently all the way through, is arguing that it's always been the intention of God's plan and program to fulfill everything in Christ. Uh, and so so that's why you're getting the emphasis on the term fulfillment. Um for the person for whom that can obscure the role of Israel, um, the term supersessionism or or replacement becomes the key term because they are arguing God has made certain commitments to Israel that he has expressed in Scripture that are not canceled out by anything that's done with reference to people who uh, who believe who are in the church. And so that distinction comes in. Sometimes this gets defined as, one view being more literal than another mm. but literalism has to do with intentionality and in what the scripture intends to say is its meaning and so and that's part of the debate so um so sometimes i think we label things as a way to avoid a conversation that we actually need to have and so uh in this case even though I do think there are passages that relate to Israel and that talk about Israel's promises being irrevocable, etc., which is where the basis for maintaining a place for Israel comes from, I don't think it necessarily helps the discussion in this particular area to talk about literal versus spiritual per se, because the issue is about intentionality with regard to the promises. Mm. And depending on how you see that will determine how you read the texts that are related uh, to the conversation. And that was probably so unclear that that Bobby and Nicole probably have to clean it up for me for (laughs) you.
2: So, well, actually, I have a follow-up question. Then, can you maybe uh, talk us through some of these key texts, these key passages that are debated?
1: Well, I think the main text that uh, well, there are several texts actually, and this actually is another way into the topic. I, I like to say the person who holds the fulfillment theology, I can affirm that this is fulfillment theology, but let's talk about what the fulfiller has to say about that fulfillment. <laughs> that pulls me into conversations about what Jesus taught in this area is the one who is the fulfillment. He's the one who said uh, to Israel, your house is desolate until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's Luke 13, 34 and 35. And there's a parallel in Matthew uh, 23. And so um, so that suggests that Israel is under an exilic-wide temporary judgment until she responds to her Messiah. You don't say until unless you expect something to happen on the other end. Mm. There's no need to say it if nothing's happening on the other end. So that's the first text. The second text comes in uh, Luke 21. It's another until text, and that is that Jerusalem is trampled down until the times the Gentiles are fulfilled. Well, the contrast with Gentiles, of course, in Scripture is Jews. So if the times of the Gentiles is fulfilled, then on the other end of that, you're expecting at least an involvement that returns the discussion and the focus back to what's happening with the Jews. So this also suggests that there's something on the other end. In Acts 1, uh, 6 and 7, the disciples, having spent 40 days with Jesus, having heard what he had to say, the Hebrew Scriptures teach about what is yet to come, still ask the question, is this the time you're gonna restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus' answer, as the fulfiller is, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons. This is basically the Father's business. In the meantime, you're to be my witnesses. Right. And then of course the famous passage in, in Acts one eight that talks about the gospel going out to Judea and Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. So he doesn't reject the premise of the question. He simply says, that's the father's business. And he doesn't pull out his hair and say, oh, I need to teach another class on eschatology 101 to you so you get this right. He doesn't reject what the question is asking. He simply defers it and says, it's none of your business hmm. what the rest of the program of involving Israel involves. And the timing will come when the father says. And then the last passage that Jesus that doesn't come from Jesus it comes from one of the apostles who is around Jesus, comes from Peter in Acts 3. And this is the idea of heaven holding uh, Jesus until the time of the return, basically, or the times of restoration, which are described in the prophets of old. So basically what Peter is saying there, if you want to know what's coming with what's left, just read your Hebrew scriptures. It tells you. And when you pick up the Hebrew scriptures and read it, you see Israel very much involved in what's involved in the restoration of the earth and in the reconciliation that comes as a result of what it is Messiah is gonna do. So this is the fulfiller, the one who is the fulfillment, talking about what is left in the program for Israel. So he can fulfill it, the church can participate in it, and yet there can be a role left for Israel in the program. Well put. Yeah, so I mean, in some ways it's short and sweet. Uh, The other passage that I didn't mention, that could be mentioned here, is Romans 9 to 11, which holds out the hope and which connects to what Jesus said and what Peter said. So I figure if you've got Jesus, you've got Peter, and you've got Paul, you've got, you know, kind of the big three. And so um, so in, in Romans 9 to 11, of course, we get Paul discussing what has happened to Israel that doesn't believe. That's his focus in those three chapters. He's very clear about that. He wishes, you know, he said, I wish I were even dead i'd be glad to give my life for the sake of those who are my brethren who don't believe and then in the end in chapter 11 he talks about natural branches that have been cut out and unnatural branches that have been grafted in looking forward to a time when god will graft back in the natural branches that's the group that he's been talking about all the way through and thus all israel will be saved and this is this is the fun part of this Even if Israel has the broad definition that some people want to give it, okay, it doesn't exclude the grafted in natural branches that are the Israel that we talk about in the Hebrew scripture. Mm -hmm. So no matter how you I mean the pun, cut that passage, okay, Mm -hmm. you're gonna end up with grafted in branches that are a part of Israel, that are the future, that are part of the program, part of the reconciliation, part of what completes the fact that God is restoring all the creation in Christ. And this is something that Paul teaches, as I mentioned, as well as Peter and as well as Jesus does. So you put those four passages on the table. Sometimes it's said, well, this is only a hope that's the Old Testament. It's not a New Testament hope, to which I have a very theological response. Ah, bah, humbug.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So just to add in, I mean, in that Romans 11 passage, you have another one of those until statements where— in Romans eleven twenty five 25 through 27, Paul's writing about um, uh, this partial hardening or, or blindness that is, uh, is basically like cloaked the nation of Israel, um, but it's temporary because he said that they've been hardened, they've been blinded for a time until, uh, until what? Until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And then, so you follow that progression and it says, and then, and so all Israel shall be saved. So basically what you're laying out when you lay out all these passages is that the way that the New Testament uh, portrays Israel, the, the uh, physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as a collective body, uh, that, they, um, that they still have uh, the same position and the same role uh, in New Testament promises as they did in
1: Old Testament promises. Is that right? The one feature is, of course, that what the Old Testament seemed to suggest was going to happen was that that Israel was going to be, you know, uh, in the fulfillment from the very beginning. Of course, they also saw and put the Messianic career kind of all together in one piece. What happened in the New Testament is, is that the first coming and the suffering came on the front end. He was rejected by his own, which Isaiah fifty three tells us was going to happen, and then. And then the the judgment and vindication of the righteous comes later with the return. So what was together to some degree was pulled apart. That's the mystery part of the New Testament. And in the midst of that, there became an opportunity for Israel in her rejection to exist without abolishing the role of Israel and the plan of God eventually, because with the return would also come the restoration to the nation.
2: And that restoration is, like you said, like Peter says in Acts chapter three, it's based on what the prophets have foretold. And that's
1: right. And there's no note or footnote in that text that says, oh, and you need to reread the way you've been reading the Hebrew scripture. No, if you want to understand what the end looks like, uh, the law, the Psalms and the prophets are good enough.
3: Yes. And I know that usually churches that ascribe to replacement theology tend to spiritualize. The promises that they don't believe that there is a literal lamb promise for them. But I have sometimes heard it preached from the pulpit that the land of, of Israel is for us. So we know that in uh, Genesis 17, God told Abraham that he would be the father of a multitude of nations. Do those nations count as part of the covenant for land?
1: This is something that gets discussed. Some people say yes. And some people say no. Um, what is clear is that the land is for Israel um, whether it's for anybody else or not can be discussed but let me give you an analogy and then I think this will make sense to people need to understand that in the reconciliation that is to come and in the millennium and even in the new heavens and the new earth Jesus will be part of a multinational people of God mm. Okay, he will be head over a reconciled multinational people of God And in doing so, people will still maintain or have a sense of what their original identity was, but they'll have a oneness in Christ at the same time. And what I like to say is, and this is the analogy I like to make, although lately I've been joking that the UK probably doesn't belong in this analogy anymore. But if you think about the European Union, okay, people are still German and French, okay, et cetera, and people can move from border to border and country to country without blinking, okay, and everyone's a European on the one hand, but they're also still French or German or Italian, right, okay, Um, like I said, the reason I'm joking about the UK, of course, is they were in and then they opted out, so that's not going to happen in the future. If you're connected to Jesus, you're going to be connected to Jesus, but the, the point is you have both a shared identity with people of different backgrounds than your own and you also have a distinct identity to which you contribute to the patchwork or the network that is the full people of God. My own personal belief is is that everybody participates and is a beneficiary of those promises. They're actually a beneficiary of those promises whether they live in the land or not, because at least in the context of the millennium, Jesus is gonna rule from Jerusalem and we're all gonna share him as, as, as the leader. Yes. I'm going to be able to move in and out of Israel as I want because I am part of the people of God, etc. So, um, so this is part of the picture of what reconciliation is. This is why I often say that when it comes to the future, the future is not as nationalistic as some people portray the restoration to be. Mm. Okay. Yes, Israel's restored to the promises. Yes, God keeps His commitment to Israel. Yes, God maintains the commitments that He's made to them. But it's not at the expense of the other people that he's saving, okay? It's alongside the other people that he is saving, and that's part of the unity that he's building through what he's going to do through Yeshua. The reason this is important to a Jewish person, of course, is is that they receive what was originally promised to them, okay? And which may have the appearance of being lacking right now. But everyone gets Mm -hmm. to participate in the benefits of what comes from that. So... Again, a long answer, but again, this is a very, as Abe said, a very dense discussion, and I want all Puerto Ricans from Brooklyn to be able to follow it, so uh, so we're good. And the Bronx. That's right, and the Bronx. Sorry about that.
2: Yeah. Well, I think that's a, a really good nuanced way to put it, um, because honestly, in in some of my own interactions with people who ascribe to whether it's supersessionism or replacement theology or fulfillment theology, uh, it there's almost been like this, uh, almost like an emotional response when you suggest that God still has this like this plan for the nation of Israel and that there are these distinctions that still exist, and the emotional response comes from you know biblical texts like Galatians where it says that there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, man or woman. How can we um, lovingly present or interact with that kind of like uh defensive approach that people may have
1: well the way i like to do it is to i I think the best teacher is jesus so i i like to do it by pointing out this is what jesus said you said jesus is the fulfillment i suspect he knows what the program is i suspect he can speak to what the program is so what is it that jesus has to say and then these passages that we've mentioned come into the conversation and and i think at the same time you highlight the fact that the inclusion of israel in the program of redemption doesn't mean that other people are excluded from redemption i like to say that the inclusion of israel doesn't take place at the exclusion of other people you know and so and so the one of the dangers of the word replacement is that it suggests it re- suggests that someone occupies a slot that at one time someone else occupied, okay? And it's almost a zero-sum game. If I bless you, then that means I'm not blessing them. And that's not what this is about.
0: That's a great point.
3: We are so glad you are listening to Our Hope Podcast and sharing it with your family and friends. It's a great way to tell your Jewish loved ones about the Messiah. As our listeners, we want to thank you with our exclusive Chosen People Ministries online store discounts. These discounts are only announced here on Our Hope. For this week's episode, we are offering 20% off your entire purchase at store.chosenpeople.com. Simply enter the coupon code HOPE20 at checkout. Now back to this episode.
0: So, Just to bring it back to today, do the issues of replacement theology and supporting Israel go hand in hand? So, in other words, can can a church believe in replacement theology and still support the modern state
1: of Israel? I think it's harder for them to do. Mm. I do think it's conceivable, Mm. but usually the way you'll see it is they will support Jewish people, and they may even support Jewish people in the land but they tend not to see a future for an entity called Israel, a corporate entity or a nation called Israel. So they'll they'll, they'll, split, they'll split the baby that way. Hmm. And so they'll say, I'm all for Israel. I'm all for evangelism to the Jews. Everybody should come to Christ. I might even recognize that Israel has a right to the land, but I'm not sure Israel as a corporate entity has a role in the program of God. That's the role of the church. And that will normally be the way someone who holds to replacement theology or supersessionism or fulfillment theology will, will express their view. Um, the, the happy at the individual level, not so happy at the corporate level.
3: Yeah, that's right. To go along with that, many believe that Israel does not have a moral right to the land because most Jewish people have rejected Yeshua as the Messiah, so why would God still allow them to keep the land?
1: Well, part of it is he allows them to keep the land because he committed that the land was theirs, and he's the ultimate owner. You know, anyone who is a creature on the earth is a steward of that which God has given them. And so so this land is something that God did mark out for the Jews. The beauty of what we're talking about, however, is, is that he has marked it out for the Jews on the one hand, but that doesn't mean that other people can't be blessed because of its presence on the other the other beauty of the European Union illustration is is that it shows that borders exist but in one sense they don't matter mm. so um, so you know so i can live in germany and it used to be before the european union when i did my original visits to germany in my first part of the sabbatical before the european union had had you know lowered the the border areas when I went to France, I had to stop at the customs gate. I had to justify being able to go into France. Now, when you live in Germany and you drive from Tübingen to Strasbourg, you, you go over a train track, you've changed countries, but you haven't shown your passport to anybody. Uh, and so there's a sense in which there is a connection, even though there are borders. And and so I think that analogy helps us to understand the kind of thing that Scripture might be talking about.
3: Yeah, and you mentioned evangelism. Would you say that most churches that ascribe to replacement theology also interpret Romans one sixteen different from the way we would, where they think that the gospel is to the Jew first means chrono- like chronological order, instead of by order of priority.
1: Yeah, and and, uh, and I think that in in again, uh, even the word priority is tricky here. The point here is is that it, is that the way the New Testament and Old Testament put it is there were those who were near and those who were far away. Israel was near, Gentiles were far away. Now everyone, this is Ephesians two, has been brought into the one new man. So. <laughs> To me, the to the Jew first, and then the Greek is the idea of there were those who were near, there were those for whom it was originally designed in many, many ways. Okay, and we were brought into the promise directly in many, many ways, and then there were Gentiles who got incorporated in because of who it is the seed is ultimately in right. Christ, and they were further away. So, so I think my word rather than uh, priority would be proximity. Um, and, Mm -hmm. and so in thinking about it that way, um, yes, it's to the Jew first and also the Greek it's in one sense, it's natural for the Jew. This was their promise in very many ways. It also becomes natural for the Gentile, but it's, but it it took a little more work to incorporate them because originally the covenant commitments were made to Abraham. Now Abraham and to his seed To the extent that the seed is Christ and not the nation. Of course, in Scripture it's both. I mean, the whole story of the book of Exodus is how the seed of Abraham is the nation of Israel at one level. But in the terms of fulfillment and realization so that the world is blessed, that seed is individualized in Jesus and is individualized in Yeshua. And in the working out of that connection Everyone comes into blessing because anyone who's in Christ ends up receiving the blessing that he provides for all of us. You know, no one gets into the promise today because they get there by descent Mm. or by nationality. No, they get there by what it is that Yeshua has provided for all people. And we have, and the only way in is to embrace that. So I
2: have a sort of a follow-up evangelism question for you. Um, what kind of impact would you say, again, supersessionism, replacement theology, fulfillment theology, however we want to say it, what kind of impact would you say it's had on Jewish evangelism? Like twofold in terms of how Christians, how believers have shared the gospel with Jewish people, and also how Jewish people receive that message?
1: Well, that's two very good questions. I I think it, it ends up stifling or has the risk of stifling sharing with Jews, because behind it is the idea of Jews had a chance and they rejected the Messiah. Mm-hmm. And so um, so it tends to lower the the concern for Jewish people. It shouldn't do that, but it does. I mean, I think that that's the way to describe it, or it often does. I'll say it that way. With regard to Jewish people, I mean, obviously the emphasis is we've replaced you. You know, you don't have a, a connection to God anymore. You have totally forfeited that connection. Now, the odd part about that is that there's an L, there's a sense in which that's true, because any person who chooses to reject what God has provided has made themselves accountable to the living God. But the flip side of it is, is that it's not done in mass, and it's not done automatic, and it certainly isn't a reflection of God's intention. Because the commitment that God has to Israel long-term shows that he's still committed to the Jewish people and that Jesus still, even as he hung on the cross, is the king of the Jews. And so that is never to be forgotten in the midst of these conversations.
0: Dr. Bach, last season, we did an episode where we discussed what it means when we say Jewish people are chosen and we mentioned during that episode that gentiles can be a bit offended when they hear this word but it does not mean that it doesn't mean what we think so in light of this if the church has not replaced israel then what role does the church play in the biblical narrative
1: well i would say that you know anyone who is a believer is a saint which means they're marked out and marked out and set apart to god that means they're chosen <laughs> Okay. But the sense of the chosen people that we're talking about here is is that it's a reminder of this proximity. It's also a reminder of the biblical story. The biblical story, story starts with Abraham. It starts with the people of Israel. It starts with Israel's Messiah. And it culminates in a restoration and reconciliation that also involves the people of Israel. And that's the beauty of the story. It makes a full loop. And uh, even in the midst of, of however Gentiles are involved and however they see themselves, it doesn't forget that the Ark of the Bible, uh, if I can say, was launched through, from and through Israel. Right.
3: Yeah, and if you look across the spectrum of Christianity, there are many denominations, and within those groups, there are many churches that have different views about Israel and the Abrahamic covenant and the church's role in all of this. How do we open the dialogue surrounding replacement theology in a way that's both loving and respectful?
1: Well, I think if you can walk through the door of the reconciliation that gets achieved for all of us, no one has a sense of being excluded, and yet the role and participation of everyone is highlighted. And so what what replacement theology risks doing is excluding certain people who are still within the reach of the love and grace of God. Yeah, That's actually what you're reminding people to do. Sometimes the way it's heard is you're including people, and that's not me, in the Mm -hmm. program of God, and that's not what's happening. So it's just being clear and being sensitive to what it is that you're affirming, and and also being clear that you're not denying something that the person feels about the way God is relating to them.
3: That's right.
0: Throughout the Bible, God's relationship with Israel as a nation almost seems like a mirror image of his relationship with us individually. So what can we learn from God's enduring covenant with Abraham?
1: well the the great lesson this is why this is an important conversation is god keeps his commitments to the people that he makes them to Amen. so if god is faithful to israel we can be assured that he's faithful to us uh, and if god can opt out of the commitment that he makes to israel what does that mean about the commitments he's made to us so you the word mirror is a good is a good mirror is a good word the word pattern there's a pattern of god's activity there's a consistency to God's way god relates that we see and we learn from the way he relates to israel you know one of the most poignant books of the old testament is the book of hosea where god as the groom to an unfaithful bride you know longs for and and hosea becomes the picture and the model of someone who is committed to even an unfaithful wife um And what that shows is the unbreakable faithfulness of God. Well, the faithfulness of God is unbreakable to Israel. And if the faithfulness of God is unbreakable in the picture of Hosea, then the faithfulness of God is unbreakable to us. And that should lead us to a gratitude and a responsiveness that makes us a responsive bride as opposed to being anything else.
2: Right, and I I would, uh, I'm sure you'd agree, but it seems like that's the whole thrust behind Paul's uh, shift from Romans 1 through 8 into Romans 9 through 11. Uh, Because in those first eight chapters of Romans, Paul's laying out such solid doctrine and theology for us about uh, sin, about justification, about who we are, about even, you know, all that the Lord has done for us. and leading into chapter 9 through 11, where he focuses so much on Israel, it's almost as if he's anticipating the questions of his audience, um, as if he's anticipating the question that they might have uh, of, you know, how can we be so sure that nothing is going to separate us from Messiah? Nothing's going to separate us from the love of Messiah. How can we be so sure of that if we see Israel, his people, the people of promise, and we see their current condition where um, yeah, they, they've rejected the king. They've rejected the Messiah. Uh, and then he goes in and, and unpacks it beautifully for us in those
1: three chapters. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's exactly, I think, part of what's going on if he, right. if he's unfaithful. And then, of course, when he comes to the end of chapter 11, after he's gone through this career that he sees for, for Israel as a corporate entity, he lifts up this marvelous uh, word of praise for the wisdom of God. And, and so, you know, so, so there's a consistency that you're supposed to see that's supposed to lead you into the place where you are praising God for the way in which his plan actually unfolds.
0: One last question. Is replacement theology dangerous?
1: Um, uh, let's save a bomb of a question for the end. Uh, um, you have to sit up for mean, this one. I mean, <laughs> the, the, the issue, let's, let's define the nature of the danger. I mean, I think the problem is, is that it sells God's salvation, God's faithfulness and God's word potentially short. Mm. And so, um, so in that sense, I, w- I wouldn't use the, I mean, you might use the word dangerous, but I'm, I'm from the South. We tend to be, you know, a little genteel. <laughs> I would say it's problematic. You yeah. know, yeah. it makes it problematic. Um, what, what, it's, what it's trying to emphasize, and I didn't want to say this much. What it's trying to emphasize is actually extremely true. And that is, in the end, fulfillment of all of this comes through Christ. Okay nothing happens without him no one gets this by default okay with that emphasis is dead on in terms of what the bible is doing but the flip side of it is what gets ex- risk getting excluded in the process is a recognition that god keeps his commitments that the one who fulfills it says there is a role for israel and that and that and that we can be tied to the assurance of what it is that god is doing in his total program by the example that he shows to be absolutely totally, so totally committed to Israel that he reclaims her in the end.
0: So I think the lesson here, what I'm hearing is that we can't pick and choose what promises God keeps.
1: Yeah. And we, and we want to be careful, uh, to be sure that we appreciate how deep and wide the salvation of God is. And when you exclude a certain people group to whom God has made a commitment, the risk is you might, again, you might sell the salvation and the restoration short and it shouldn't be sold short. Amen.
0: Well, thank you, uh, Dr. Bach, for walking us through that gently. (laughs) It is dense. So um, thank you for your time in talking this through and uh, Bobby and Nicole, thank you for your input and your questions. Really, really blessed by this episode. Um, I know I've learned a lot and I hope everyone who's listening has also learned. Uh, so thank you all for your time.
1: My pleasure. Thank
2: you. Yeah. Thank you, Abe. And thank you, Dr. Bach and Nicole. Appreciate it.
0: We believe that God still has a plan for Israel. And it is part of God's kingdom plan where He will physically regather the Jewish people to the land of Israel and one day spiritually restore the Jewish nation through faith in Jesus. And it is coming to pass. Many Jewish people have returned to Israel, and there is a faithful remnant of Messianic believers in the land who are sharing the gospel with those around them. If you are a Gentile, you have an important role in this story too. Continue being a witness to the Jewish people you know, both in word and deed. Share what you know about the Hebrew scriptures and how they point to Yeshua. Continue heeding the words of Psalm 122.6 by praying for the peace of Jerusalem. Finally, please pray for ministries like ours who are actively sharing the gospel with Israel, both in the land and the diaspora. Thanks for listening to this episode of Our Hope. This episode was made possible thanks to Nicole Vaca, Grace Swee, Dr. Mitch Glazer, Dr. Daryl Bach, and Robert Walter. Until next time.
3: Shalom. It's Nicole Vaca, co-producer of Our Hope podcast. On behalf of our team, I wanted to thank you for listening to Our Hope and let you know that we are busy working on season four. In the meantime, we're going to take a two-week break, but don't worry. We will be back on November 30th with a brand new episode of Our Hope, and the topic is very exciting. We can't say too much, but here's a hint. Okay, that's it for now. Stay safe and be blessed.
1: Thanks for listening to Our Hope. If you like our show and want to know more, check out ourhopepodcast.com or chosenpeople.com. See you next time.